0: That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000.
1: If you can believe it, you can achieve it. You can do anything if you just get your mind right and set your mind to it. You just need to trust yourself more. You just need to believe in yourself more. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, that's how I did this right here. Yeah, I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, how many of you believe I could do that? No, no, dude. <laughs> no, I didn't. Thank you for your confidence. Uh, even if I believe, what if I, what if I believe that Christ gives me strength to do all things? Can I, can I dunk a basketball at my age at my place? No. Even if I get it really, really, really firmly in my mind. And, and in one sense, accepting the impossibility of certain things, well, that's a sign of well it's a sign of maturity it's a healthy acknowledgement that there is reality going on in my life and well I'm just gonna have to accept it but there's also a sense in which refusing to acknowledge that some things might just be possible that I think are impossible well that's kind of a prison and if all you do is live your life in what you know you can do and what you can accomplish and what makes sense to the logical mind Will you box yourself in? If I haven't met you yet, my name's Ed and that was just my head on LeBron's body, I think. And I'm I'm one of the pastors here and over the last few weeks since the first of the year really, we've been looking at the life of Jesus taught through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And I've said on more than one occasions when I've had the privilege to speak to you that our world, particularly our country, is full of people who believe in God, in fact, It's overwhelming the amount of people that believe in God. The problem in our world is not the people believe in God. They don't believe God. They don't trust God. They don't have much faith in Him. And it might surprise some of you that this is a recurring theme. In fact, I've told you many times, Jason, uh, Nathan, and I have been making this point that Mark is trying to get clear to us That Jesus is king and that the whole gospel of Mark is just what kind of king he's going to be and what kind of way he wants to have a rule in our life. And it might surprise you if you're not a real Bible kind of guy that even the guys who follow Jesus and give up their life to follow Jesus, they may have a clue that he might be Messiah. But the one thing that keeps coming back to them is they aren't sure he knows very much about this world. They think he might be God. He might be the chosen one but he doesn't seem to be all that practical sometimes he doesn't seem to know exactly how life seems to work and i mean if we can all get beyond being good church folks the truth is you spend a good of billi- your time in that same place i do too where you know that you believe that there is a god and you believe jesus is his son like we sang in the first song that he was crucified he's raised to life and he's coming back you you believe those kind of things, but when it comes to your life, there's some things you just think he's not real. Well, you just, I mean, if I just watched our lives, you just think he's wrong. You just think he doesn't know. Now, this is a recurring problem for Jesus. Jesus says these things, and some of us read them. We read them now, and the first people that heard them, they would just go, that doesn't that didn't make any logical sense but they always made theological sense because jesus was doing what even some of us who believe in him don't do he always put god in the equation he always believed that there was a reality where god was involved and what i mean by that is he always saw the world as that god was right here he was very present and that makes things we think are not possible possible and of course he still puts us in that position today now we're going to look at one of the best known examples of that in fact you actually already heard the text of it read just a moment ago this feeding that takes place it's just one of many that jesus does it's in, but i want to give you the uh, kind of context of this so that you can understand a little bit what's going on between jesus and his dudes jesus has sent them out and they've come back now in fact jesus doesn't go with them he sends them out to go, and he empowers them to do all the things they have seen him do. He doesn't tell them how that we know. (laughs) He just sends them out and says, go do it. And here's the context that as they come back, those that he had sent gathered around him, so all of them come back, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught, and I'll get to that in a minute. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me. Hey hey guys, come with me by, by yourself to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns that got ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Now there are a whole bunch of things in that little paragraph that I think we could have fun talking about, but I don't have time to talk about all the things, so I'll just give you a few. Did you notice in this picture, I mean, this little little paragraph gives us a picture, I think, what it would be like to be with Jesus for a day. I mean, a lot of us walk around, in fact, I noticed I talked to somebody today, they're here in the first service because they got something to do, and we often feel like we got a lot to do. Jesus had a lot to do. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) everywhere Jesus goes, crowds are around him they just sort of appear out of nowhere everywhere he goes even when he's trying to get away from them crowds just press on people i mean imagine being so popular and so in demand with people that you don't have time to eat as you can tell i have never been that popular (laughs) and i'm thankful because i like to eat but this is jesus life i mean for a long time, everywhere he goes, they're just around him. Anytime he's in public, it, it's just this crazy scene. And if you haven't ever had to do work with, with people a lot, here's, here's, let me tell you something. People are exhausting. People are just exhausting. I'm just telling you that, not, I'm not looking at any of you particularly, I'll look up when I say this, but people <laughs> are exhausting. I mean, if you're the parent of a young child or young children, <laughs> people are exhausting. Or if your children get older and you've got to drive them everywhere, they're just exhausting. Or as an adult, you're now taking care of an aging parent, and even though you love them, it's just exhausting. It's just exhausting with people. And we don't think about it, but Jesus, He's fully human. And he gets exhausted. And I don't want you to miss this. He says to his disciples, let's get away from the crowd. Can can we just take a break? So they get in the boat and they go to the other side, but the bobs of the crowds are waiting for them. But even though Jesus was out of energy, did you notice the last thing? This is such a picture of God and you can't miss these glimpses of God. Even though people are exhausting Jesus, what does he have for them? He's so compassionate on them. And did you notice what he does next when he has compassion? He begins to teach them many things. Now, many of us who naturally are empathetic, and I'm not pointing to me because I'm not, but many who are empathetic, you don't think about this, about compassion. You generally associate compassion with all kinds of things, but you don't generally associate it with teaching. But Jesus knew that the reason he had compassion on people is that they were just wrong about the way the world worked. And he felt, he was, even though he's exhausted, he felt so bad to them, he knew that sometimes, sometimes we just need truth to deal with our problems.
0: By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat but he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now it's hard to see this in English, but in Greek, when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, he uses an emphatic verb, which means Jesus was being specific. Don't get a caterer, don't find a food truck, you do it. I want you to give these people something to eat. Now in John's account of this, he tells us that Jesus was testing his disciples because he had already decided what he was going to do. It's just one of the many times where Jesus intentionally put his disciples in a situation beyond their human ability. And Jesus still does this today. He often puts us in places that are beyond what logic says we can handle. And here's the tension in this. Following Jesus means you and I are to live like Jesus, right? We're supposed to love and act and treat others like Jesus. But the other side of it is, I'm not Jesus. I can't just be like Jesus. Jesus walks on water. Sometimes I get tripped up by the carpet. Jesus curses fig trees. I can't get grass to grow in parts of my yard. Jesus cast out demons. I take out the trash. Jesus changes water to wine. The best I can do is turn water into coffee. And John says Jesus is testing the disciples, but nobody wants to take a test if they know they've got no chance to pass it. So here's the tension. Do you ever feel like Jesus expects too much of us? He just puts us in places where logically we can't pass the test. I mean, does Jesus really expect me to love my enemy? There's a lot of hateful people in the world. Does he really expect me to forgive that person who hurt me so badly I'll never forget it? Come on, it's 2023. Does Jesus really expect me to remain sexually pure in this day and age? Or with my anxiety? Does Jesus really expect me not to worry about tomorrow? Was he serious about that? Or what about the church? Does Jesus really expect his church to advance against the gates of hell in a world that is so divided? I mean, does he really think his church can overcome centuries of bias and hate and division? Does he really expect his church to hold unpopular moral positions in a culture that doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore? What about supernatural stuff like healing and miracles? Does he really want me to pray for that? Here's the tension with Jesus. I can believe he's God and trust him with my afterlife because I can't do anything about that anyway. But if I take him seriously about everything else, it just feels like too much. And this is where the disciples are. So they give Jesus an answer any non-believer could have given him. Jesus, this idea of us feeding them, that's a great idea, but it's just not in the budget. We can't make it happen. And their answer was logical, but not theological because they didn't put God in the equation. So Jesus proves again that he is the king of the unexpected. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Did you know that other than his resurrection, this is the only miracle that every account of his life mentions? I think it's because this was one that over time, rearranged how the disciples saw the world. I bet they looked back at this moment and said to themselves, maybe instead of doubting if he is right about something, We should begin to doubt that we know what's really possible
1: so this is how I want to go at this today here's here's what I want us to think about what does Jesus really expect me to do when logic tells me nothing can be done what does Jesus really expect of us when logic says there's no move here. What does he expect? Well, first, I think that Jesus expects us to apply everything we know about God and every past experience we have had with God to the present obstacle and circumstances we have in front of us. I want to remind you, this whole day starts with the disciples coming back from having been sent out with Jesus, this adventure he sends them on with. It seems like very little tra- training, and they get interrupted. But we know what happened when they go out. Jesus tells us these untrained, probably very young men, as they go into cities, they heal people. They cast out demons. They pray prayers and things begin to happen and it's them. Jesus isn't there. It's them doing it. They drove out one of them at one point says, we saw lightning fall from the sky. We saw demons coming out of people. The disciples return from this trip, and God seems to routinely just be alive in everything they're doing. But as soon as they return and they get among other people, they do what we do. They start doubting it. They start forgetting everything. But I've done that. Haven't you done that? I mean, where you go through something and God is so real and then you struggle with spiritual amnesia, you can't remember how God has worked in your past? I wonder if that's not why when after they get done passing out the fish, did you notice there are 12 baskets of fish? I think every disciple got a little souvenir basket. <laughs> so that they get to walk around with it and they remember God is sufficient. And so the big question on this is, what's in your basket? What has God put in your basket that he he gave you to carry around so that when obstacles come up, you you remember what he's done? So the next time you come up with a consequence or a, a circumstance that you're just convinced logic says there is no move, when there's a huge challenge, what's in your basket to remember what God's done? Some of you know, and for those of you who are new and don't know me, I, I was a part of helping start this church 32 years ago with a small group of people. And some of you heard this story. This, uh, the very first day we moved to Coweta County, the very first day we moved to Coweta County, Becky and I are unpacking, and for you young people, we plugged in the phone in the wall that's because that's what you had to do i mean you couldn't carry it in your pocket nobody could get a hold of you you had to plug a line into the wall and we had already set up the phone thing and it is at five minutes after i plugged the phone in the wall we're unpacking things and the phone rings and i pick it up and it's a guy from indiana that i have no clue from he says are you ed martin i said i am he said are you starting a church in cowita county i said i am He said, we prayed for you this past Wednesday night in Indiana. And I said, oh, how'd that happen? And he told me about a friend of mine that had been there and told him I was starting a church and came down. He said, but that's not what I'm calling you about. I'm calling you because I have a brother-in-law who lives, I think, just around the corner from you. I've been talking to him for a year or so about becoming a follower of Jesus. He's ready to be baptized, and you're the only other Christian I know in that area. Will you drive over to his house and baptize him? And I thought, I'm here to start a church to reach people who have never met Jesus before. Yes is the answer. So I went. I mean, here I am, the whole way I'm driving over to talk to Gene, the whole way I'm driving, I'm thinking, how does something like that happen? I'm in here to start this, and I didn't know I bring my wife and... My two little boys to this county and everybody that's around me has failed at church. Let's just be clear. They've all, the only reason I got called is because they wanted to close. That's how good I was at my job. And he gets his phone number out of the blue and the very first day, God provides a convert that I had nothing to do with. That is in my basket. There's a story of purchasing the land that this building is on. We're portable for, oh, almost 10 years. But seven years in, we finally get enough money together. We buy this land, 25 acres of this land. and We don't have it paid off, but we know we can't build until we get it paid off, and we don't have very much money. There's just me and Steve, and we just hired Jason Collins to be on our staff, and we have nothing. And we've just elected our very first elders, and one of our elders says, We should just tell the people and tell God we got to pay the land off. And I said, well, there's got to be more of a plan than that. He said, nope, that's it. Just tell the people and tell God. Just tell the people and tell God how much is owed. We'll have a... We'll just pray about it. We'll tell the people. We'll tell God that we'll set a date. We'll have an offering. And so we did. We had this big worship service. I'm on stage because I'm leading worship back in those days. We take the offering. I'm thinking, now i got to admit to these people, we didn't get enough money. They come back in, and we get exactly what we need plus two pennies. That's in my basket. That goes in that for me. So that every time something comes up for me not just to church but personally i look in my basket and i remember god's been faithful i can tell you stories more recent but i don't have time because i need to talk to you you've got a basket too you have one that he gave you most of you in this room you've walked with god for a while Others of you just started to walk with God, but I've heard some of your stories already. I've heard about you sitting in your car, praying in your car, because your car is your home. And you don't even know if there is a God, and God begins to move. And your life begins to change. What God wants to know is, will you apply what's in your basket to whatever present situation you have that you're worried about? Are you willing to believe him enough to stand with your basket and keep a God-will-you-do-it-again prayer on your lips? Because that's what Jesus, I think, expects of us when logic says there is nothing that can be done. Jesus says to them, how much do you have? And They say, we have seven, five of this and two of that, and Jesus is now going to teach them how that math is actually eight or more. So he takes the bread and he thanked God and then he asked his disciples to pass it out. And then they get with the baskets and he gives them back to the disciples and Jesus just takes a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, I imagine, of those broken pieces and he says, okay, go give it to that crowd. Now can you imagine being the guys walking out into the crowd and you're looking down in your basket and this little piece, awkward I mean, I know for me, I'd be walking over to everybody and I'd be praying the whole way, God, you better show up or I'm going to look stupid. And I don't really know. I mean, it's one of the questions I have. did Did it multiply as they broke it from their basket and handed it to the people? Did it multiply in the basket and they were shocked? I don't know how any of that happened, but what I know is they got to distribute a miracle. They didn't do the miracle, but they got to hand it out. Jesus put them there on purpose in a place where God had to show up, and he did. And he still does. And this is so important. This truth is so critical to believe that God will still show up wherever you are. Jesus understood it. I don't want us to just glance by this. We've come together for the purpose to worship him, and I want to focus on this truth. Because I believe God's talking to some of you about where you are currently. So I've asked Steve to come and lead us in a time of prayer and reflection.
2: As we begin our time of reflection, I just want to give each of us just a moment to consider what's in your basket of God's faithfulness. Where's God shown up for you in the past? What situation has He pulled you through? Where have you taken a risk and trusted God and He came through in bigger ways than you could have ever expected? Take a few moments to think of that and each time one of those memories comes to your mind, would you simply say, Thank you, Lord. And again, if you're not sure about any of this, then just focus on the small things. The breath in your lungs. The blessing in your life, the people that uh, you've been given, all those are, well, they're just a gift. So take a moment to consider where has God shown up in your life and then thank Him. And now consider where in your life do you need God to show up right now? Maybe you're facing a difficult circumstance or a relationship and you've been praying for God to show up. Or maybe God has called you to do something or to give something up or to serve Him some way and it just feels impossible. It feels beyond you. And you need to be reminded that God is faithful. Well, one of the ways that God reminds us of his faithfulness is through the community of believers, those of us who are assembled in places like this today. And so uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, Would you get into groups of about three or four people and just share one way that you need uh, God to show up in your life right now? Share a prayer request or some challenge that you're facing or some way that it's difficult for you to know that you can trust God right now. And then those of us who are listening when someone shares the other people of us in the group should just say God is good all the time just to remind us that he's there to care for us and again if this is too uncomfortable for you you don't have to feel obligated to participate but I just would ask you to engage at whatever level that you can maybe just listen and hear how God's active in other people's lives and if you're sitting with people Uh, that you are always sit with maybe you might want to look around the room and go sit with somebody that you don't know and join in with them and as always we're not going to take a long time and so for those of you who like to talk a lot we just need to be real brief and uh, if you feel comfortable doing so would you go ahead and get in your groups of three or four and share some way that you need god to show up in your life and then ed's going to come up and close this time with prayer
1: if you all can make your way back to your seats. Let's let's uh, go ahead and close this moment up in prayer. Fa- Father in heaven, we are thankful for the chance we have to be family together. That's what you made us by bringing us to Jesus that we relate to each other as brothers and sisters who we share, we love because of you. And I have no doubt that there are people that have shared things that they very much don't know what you're going to do and they need you to do something desperately. So I pray, God, and we pray that you would move and that you would be glorified in that situation and our faith will increase. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to end just by saying to you that to believe in God <clears throat> is not to deny reality. It's not to go back to what I started with, that you just believe, believe, believe. To believe in God is to believe that what I see and hear and feel and smell is not the only reality. It's not to deny reality, but it's to be aware that there is another reality beyond what I can sense in the way I sense everything else. Our whole faith depends on that. You may not know, <coughs> you. you That the whole story of our faith starts with God calling one old man, a guy named Abram, to come and follow him. And he said, I want you to go somewhere you've never been, to a people you've never been. I want you to leave everybody you know behind and come. And if you go, I will give your wife and you a baby. And from that baby will come a great nation, and from that nation will come the Savior of the whole world. But Abraham and his wife are way too old to have any babies. There is absolutely nothing logical about what God says to them. In fact, listen to how a follower of Jesus talks about them later when Paul writes about it in Romans 4.18. He says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though after about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. I love that. And so was Sarah's womb. I bet he didn't tell her that. (laughs) Abraham never wavered believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Now, Abraham was illogical. I mean, Abraham, more than most of you in this room, knew exactly how life comes to be from mammals. He, He knew how that took place. He knew how men and women made babies. And he knew that his body was reproductively dead, and so was Sarah's. He never had one moment, if I believe it, I can achieve it. He never had one moment of thinking, it's just the amount of faith I have. It wasn't anything about that. Abraham knew that his faith demanded something of him. And that, pros- that promise that there was a greater reality led him to act in faith. And do you know what the act of faith was? It meant that every night, Abraham and Sarah went into that tent And those old people did what young people do to make babies. With no thought it would happen. Except that God was there. Their faith demanded it. It didn't ignore reality. It led them into a greater reality that was possible. And somebody's here right now, and you may even... I mean, if you were bold enough, you might have said it out loud in your group. But what you're thinking is, I cannot forgive this person I cannot love this person and you're right you can't but Jesus can and he will through you if you'll allow him I can't stop this sin I have this thing that I've been doing for so long it just feels like a part of me and you can't, but Jesus can in you if you will follow him and submit yourself to him. I can't ask them to move out. I love them, and I don't even think all of this stuff that everybody talks about really matters. I can't, I can't do it. I, I can't stop worrying. I can't stop living with all this anxiety. The question is not if you can. The question is, do you believe Jesus could? And does he live in you? Jesus expects us to act as people who we believe that God will show up. For example, in Luke chapter 12, he tells the disciples, when they bring you into the synagogues and you have to stand on trial before people, you should not have to worry about anything you're going to think. The words will be given to you in the moment. And somebody needs that word right now because you're in a place in your life where you're in great pain and You know you need to say something to somebody. You watch them, a kid destroying their life or somebody you love is doing something. You've got something that you need to say to them and you don't know how to say it. Remember, Jesus' very last command is go. Just go into all the world and help people become my my disciples. Do you remember the last part that he says to them? And I'll be with you. I will be with you as you're going. And now, talking to me. It might surprise some of you how often I struggle to just, I mean, the feelings of inadequacy I have of standing up before you. I mean, most of the time when we're singing and then we take time and we're quiet, most of the time I'm praying the whole time God, if you don't show up, ain't nothing going to happen because I ain't got anything. If you don't do this, nothing will happen. All I want to do is, I just want to love these people. And then in my sane moments, I remember God. God could speak through a donkey. He could speak through me. God can make something out of nothing. because That's how he started this world, was with nothing. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, We hold this treasure in jars of clay so that God surpassing power, that people know it's from God and not from us. So what does God expect from you when you're in a moment and it just seems too big? Well, I think he expects you to look in your basket and see what's there and he expects you to trust that he's going to show up again. And I think that what he wants you to be, what he expects from you is he expects you to be available. He expects you to be available when you're faced with impossibility. One of my favorite black preachers that I listen to all the time says on a different point like this, he says, He don't need your capacity, he needs your audacity. (laughs) That's good. He needs you to be audacious, to just show up. He needs you... Not to have to say, "Lord, we can't feed these people, because he don't need a chain of grocery store or food trucks. What he needs is he needs you to give him what you have, because little is much when it's in the master's hands. And here's the first step of obedience. You figure out what has God done. The second step is, look at what has He given me? What has He given me? I mean, I don't make the miracle. But if I'll be available to God, he just might let me pass it out. I heard a young pastor of mine that I've been mentoring a little bit on the side. He sent me a message, and I'll to it. He's talking about with his two daughters, and I told him this is my favorite part of the message. He said he was telling his two daughters uh, bedtime stories. He reads books to them. And he's been doing that since they were little, but now the one is almost 11 years old, and as they're reading bedtime stories together, the one 11-year-old says at the end of the book, that's not possible. And her younger sister said, and you're not the boss of possible. (laughs) I love that. You know, you read these stories about the miracles of Jesus, and you hear people like me talk about it, And you think to yourself, he made too much of that. It's probably just a metaphor. And it's not really possible. Well, thank God you are not the God of possible. But God is trying through Mark to get us to hear this story the way it happened. And it wasn't easy for them to grasp either. They thought it was impossible, but it turned out, that Jesus is the boss of possible, that he's the one in charge. Jesus is king of possible and impossible, and what we need to remember is we never lose our wonder of who our king really is. Your challenge may be really big. Everybody may have told you it's not going to happen, but the problem is not the size of the challenge. The problem is Your faith in Jesus is just too small. He really did walk on water. He really did cleanse lepers. He really did feed all these people. He never sinned. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave, and he's alive in my life right now. And if you follow Jesus, his life and all his testimony, that goes in your basket too. What he has done in the past, it's in there as well. People in our world talk about having great faith and the benefit of having great faith, but we serve a God who says you don't need great faith. You just need a little bit of faith in the right person. You just need a mustard seed of faith in the one that can actually do something. And to remind you who your faith is in and how he proved that he was worthy of it, I've asked Jesus, I mean Jesus, I wish, I wish, man, this message would have been better if he were here. I've asked Steve to come and to lead us to the foot of the
2: cross.